Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is Eitan. Hello, Eitan. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Carl. I'm good. How are you? I am good. I don't, I don't know what people think our schedule is right now, because we <laughs> delivered two episodes in the last three and a half weeks, both of them weeks behind when we recorded them. It's been a weird few weeks for us, and it will continue to be a weird few weeks for us. Uh, all is good, but just lots of weird things going on in our lives. And then you're going to Europe next week, and you were just in Mexico City. So, yeah, it's it's a time. Yeah. I, I was going to say, when you say that at the top, that with you as always is a time i was gonna say like well i get not as always because you were very kind last week to postpone the 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 episode with the craziness in my life so i appreciate it but yes that's right i wish i could say i no, not i wish i'm gonna say i'm going to europe as a correspondent of stock and development to check in on the the streaming in a couple of countries there and i'm gonna be happy to report what i learned about the status of that over there i think it's just that you're uh conspiring with Kevin at his bachelor party to wrest control of <laughs> of the second development franchise from my hands. So that's what exactly. that's what my uh, headcanon is, and you can record an episode with him to to confirm or deny that. Uh, Stoking development to the way of water. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a trailer. What this weekend is Doctor Strange tomorrow? I can't keep track I of when so. this stuff comes out. I just saw. I just saw that. Yeah, but for anyone that didn't get that. Uh, Avatar 2 today in CinemaCon. I mean, they called it like the image or the poster, but it's nothing. It literally just says Avatar, the way of water. And they announced that, uh, yeah, trailer hopefully is coming soon. December 16, I think, right? 2022 or 26. Yes. Yeah, it is happening today or happening this year in theory. So, ooh, yeah, I will see Doctor Strange soon haven't scheduled it yet i don't know we are still alex and i are still in our rep screening hell right now but not hell it's great it's amazing like we're, we're just like going to all sorts of old rep screenings and there's not an end in sight because it's been such a great calendar so a lot of new stuff That's is good. falling by the wayside uh, as, as I told you earlier, Northman kind of feels like homework to me just because I don't love mm -hmm. Edgar's previous films, but yeah. would like to see it. Um, I still want to see Ambulance, but don't even know if I'll catch that before it leaves theater. You haven't seen Ambulance? No. I thought you were going to go to like the midnight premiere. Oh, I know. I know. I just haven't. And part of it's because with us going to so many movies, Alex doesn't really want to sit in a theater any that much. And she's like, I'm not turning out for ambulance. So Michael Bay. Yeah. Wait, this is a good way of let's do a mini. Wow. Wow. Why did you, why did you watch? Wow. This wow, past wow, 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 wow. Let's see. Anything you want to highlight? Um, so last night I saw Phantom Thread with friend of the show, Nick Sparks, Ooh. one of my absolute favorites. And I was, you ate your eggs. <laughs> I was gonna say cyanide, but it's not cyanide. What is it? A uh, mushroom. Well, we never know. Mushroom. Yes, 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 yes. Some something poisonous, mushroom-wise. But yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I I haven't seen it in a theater since you know it came out. Though I did see it in a theater three times when it came out. 
And the thing that really struck me about the third time I saw it was it was about three months after it came out, and it was at a big, it was on the biggest screen in 70 millimeter at the Alamo Draft House here in SF, and it was the first time where I feel like everyone there for the most part had seen the film or the majority of people mm-hmm. had. So it went from this very quiet audience in the first two watches where the first time I saw it was at a press screening. The second time I saw it was just on my own. And both times people were like approaching it very seriously and taking it very seriously. And it's a very lush, beautiful looking film. But the third time I saw yeah. it, everyone was just cracking up laughing with the film. Really? Because it is ridiculous and funny and, and purposefully so, so. And then last night I was really apprehensive because looking online, it only looked like there were like going to be 10 people in the audience. And it ended up being about 15. I was so worried that it was going to be people that were taking it way too seriously because it was a lot of fun laughing. But I just committed to laughing. And by the end of the movie, everyone was laughing at the, the whole thing. So I, I think I helped set the That's tone so there. I was very happy with that. Wow. Yeah, because Phantom Dread is definitely one of those movies. I mean, there is a ton of movies that you've finished the first time and you're like, oh, I really want to watch that again to see now that I know yeah. how it ends. The, the latest example, of course, is the uh, Power of the Dog. But the Phantom Thread is one where I think when it ended, Ariel and I were like, oh, we didn't thought at all it was going to be about that. Yeah. Not that there is a twist, right? But it's all about, like, in a very simplistic way, like, these guys desire to be, like, taken care of <laughs> and always being in a position of power and just wanting to be, like, having... Having someone that has power over him and that can take care of him. And and I was like, okay, I need to watch it again to see him from this perspective, like, all the time. Because I didn't... Maybe I just wasn't paying that close yeah. attention, but I didn't catch it until the end. Where he was like, oh, he wanted this! But anyway. Well, and I don't think you're supposed to, and I certainly didn't. And the first time right, I saw it, like, like a... Alex didn't like it when we first saw it. She was at that press screening, too, and just... She didn't like it because she was like, what... What is this? Who is this character? This doesn't make any sense. And then right. you kind of weird. you watch it again, and you're like, "Oh, this guy is a ridiculously fussy man who is never happy, and it's funny to watch that." And he says actually ridiculous things instead of being. You're not supposed to hate him. You're supposed to think he's funny. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, it's just this fussy man that's like in a Munchausen's relationship and. <laughs> Certainly not what you think going into the movie, and certainly not what you think an hour into the movie, and then it just careens into an entirely different Stranger Thing. So yeah, that was yeah that was great. Um, we also saw in new films. We saw we're all going to the World's Fair, which is a Sundance horror, not really horror, more dread movie. Um, okay, it's in the vein. Though a little less so of like a, uh, what's that franchise where everything's on the laptop and it's Unfriended? Have you seen the Unfriended what? films? No. Oh, so uh, there's two Unfriended films. Oh, Unfriended are these horror movies? And Unfriended the Dark Web. Yeah, they're, they're both uh, horror yeah, movies. You can just assume. And both of those films take place, like, they're they're made in a like fake Mac desktop environment, so you're like watching somebody like Google things and 
and uh, like watching Zoom and FaceTime and stuff. I don't think Zoom was a thing at the time okay. of those films. But this film, it's it's aesthetically similar, not quite to those because it's not like a desktop GUI. It does have like a filmic language, but the majority of the film is shot like in POV style stuff, more like eighth grade, where it's a girl keeping a vlog. And it's this creepypasta thing where she's taking a creepy online challenge and like things might happen to her. And it's about that. And I either wanted more character development or more lore about what was supposed to be going on. And I don't feel like I got it. And typical Sundance of like, it's well made, well executed, but like a, I liked it about a third of, of what I think the potential was. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I was going to say that description of the Unfriended movie reminded me of Knife's Party Internet Friends song. Do you know this song? No. Yeah, it's like, uh, surely we could be friends. I've heard so much about you. It's like an electronic. And he starts texting, like, are you, why are you not answering me? You know, are you gay? Are you uh-huh. are you drinking with that fucking slug? And it starts getting aggressive. And she gets to this guy's house and is like, you blocked me on Facebook. And now you're going to die. Beep, beep, Anyway, that just became an electronic, became an electronic <laughs> that podcast. That does actually it. sound... But that is basically the... Yeah. It does sound like the movie the um, Unfriended okay. or Unfriended the Dark Web. Both of them are not your scene, but they are good. Um, Thank you. What's that film? Did you see the John Cho film that was, was like that? Uh, I think it was called Searching. Oh, that was the one that people had to, like, go find each other in the real world? I remember the trailer. Uh, Yeah, well, it was, um, it's a father trying to find his missing teenage daughter. Oh, and then, um, and it, I thought it was a different one. John Cho plays the dad, and I'm not entirely convinced it's a great movie, but it's interesting and compelling. It has the same, like, visual language of taking place on, like, screens. But I love John Cho, okay. so who cares? <laughs> That's funny. Um, what I what did I watch? Well, big news: I went to Cinepolis, and I went to VIP Cinepolis, which is a hundred and sixty pesos. So it's eight dollars. Is that ex- recliners? So that's expensive in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah, it's like double the size, double the cost of a regular ticket. But um, but that's also like recliners, but like real recliners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like real recliners. Wow! You go in and they have a huge sign that says "Apologies because of COVID, we don't have pillows or blankets." You sit in. You, there's still a light, a QR code for the menu, full menu. Uh, waiter comes to take your order. He leaves, come back. But we go in. And as you know, the biggest part of Cineapolis in Mexico is popcorn. I was say, what flavors of popcorn did you get? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have four flavors right now. They continue to have their awesome way, two things that are great. One is they have this divider. So you can order as many flavors as you want if you want them mixed. If you want to have two different ones, they put a divider in the middle of the bucket and you can have two side by side. And they have the to-go boxes. We saw two different couples come into the movies, buy to-go and just leave. So... Uh, flavors this time. Uh, pretty traditional uh, butter, uh, caramel, and then uh, they, they had five flavors. Butter, caramel, uh, cheddar cheese. I really like the cheddar cheese. They had a Doritos nacho one that had 
Doritos Nacho in the popcorn, like, with, but with the flavor in the popcorn, amazing. And they have a Takis one, also with like Takis oh, cool. in the popcorn. Fantastic. So I had cheddar and Doritos Nacho, and Ariel had butter and Takis. Just a great experience. Okay. And, uh, so, side note around Doritos in Mexico, like what? What are Doritos in Mexico? Are they considered like a normal chip that everyone eats? Like, it just feels. Yeah. I'm just. It's like this Ouroboros of like it's a simulacrum of of American <laughs> Mexican food, then therefore being eaten in Mexico as its own thing. So yeah, you grew up with nachos Doritos. Yeah, Doritos in general. I think Doritos Nacho as a flavor, it just got to Mexico like ten like they just when they rebranded okay. and they brought the new logo or whatever, they started calling the, the regular Dorito Doritos Doritos Nacho. But people when they think of Nacho, at least in Mexico City, they think of the US. Right. I think they're like, yeah, yeah, nachos are not a thing here, but like the, the flavor is like cheese, sure. But they have a lot of flavors that are only in Mexico. They have a salsa verde flavor that is very famous. Mm-hmm. And they had one that was it was a marketing campaign that went so viral that they kept it, which was, it was a Doritos flavor, and the, the flavor was a uh, question mark. And people had to send guesses about what the flavor is or how to call yeah. the flavor. And for months, and the flavor, the name that won was Incognita. Like, funny Doritos, in, yeah, incognito, like Incognito, like you don't know what the flavor is. And the flavor is like a mix of unsalted chili powder and like Worcestershire sauce or something. Funny. But yeah. it's great. That's like good. Ariel and I, we love them. So yeah, they have a lot of flavors like that. But yeah, that's a good tangent. A Doritos tangent. That reminds me, have you ever had uh, Zaps Voodoo chips? They're Alex and I's mutual favorite potato chips. I don't think so. I I, I know Zaps. I just yeah, yeah. don't think I've had them. So the Voodoo chips, uh, so Zaps is is a regional brand, but you can find it in pretty wide distribution. But it is Louisiana-based. And these are essentially salt and vinegar chips mixed with barbecue chips. And they're so good. And this happens because okay. somebody mistakenly mixed the two powders together and tried it, and it was amazing, and they're good. They also have a hot Perfect. one that's good. They have a pickle one that has more vinegar in it. So good. It reminds me of that. But the um, other thing it reminds this reminds me of is, have you seen the Coca-Cola Starlight? No. This is a thing I've been searching. drinking on and off recently. So it's space-flavored. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it. That's a cute color. Like It's very reddish. Too red. So what it is, is actually... One second. Are you, are you going to get one? Carly, well, actually, the frame. I mean, I have one in my fridge, but I have something else here, too. So I don't know if you know this, but Alex collects fragrances, and she kind of got me into collecting fragrances, too. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And this is a Kickstarter I supported a while ago, and it's uh, Space Sense. So uh, one of these is the moon. It smells like the moon. And so what this is, is it's a guy who worked with NASA and helped develop like the a chemical approximation of what the moon and space smell like for astronauts to train because space smells kind of weird the primary uh, there's a, the, one of the chemicals that's lurking in space that's very odorous is called ethylformate 
which this is like that's the primary scent component of this one and it smells like raspberries it's actually what automatic like or uh artificial raspberry smells like or is it's the sorry it's the the ester that is artificial raspberry it also kind of smells rummy too but anyway, that's what Coca-Cola Starlight is supposed to evoke is the raspberry element of it, but it also has like vanilla and stuff. So it's it's huh. it's more like the uh, vanilla orange Coke where it tastes like a different soda than like Coke, but it's fascinating. But yeah, I, uh, I have ethyl formate yeah. on my, my- uh, nightstand and I also have it in my stomach right now because I had some of this Coke earlier. <laughs> that's so interesting. As a fellow science guy and a lover of space, I'm going to go research more about this after we finish because why would astronauts smell right i've also wondered space that too. or the moon so i want to go know how the suits work where smells could come in and where are they hanging if there is no air you should this let me know i just wonder if if when they say space smells like it just means that's what their suits smell like because that would be that would be because then funny. the coke should be just known like you know, because most astronauts were men like crotch flavor or like sweaty spacesuit flavor or whatever. Okay, here's um, the answer. Wait, what? what did I, I found the answer real oh, quick. Yeah, tell me. You obviously can't smell space directly because your nose doesn't work in a vacuum and there's no ventilation. Right, right, right. They notice yeah. that when things come from outside, like a spacesuit, so they take their space off suit off in the airlock, or they. Oh. The airlock has been open to the the vacuum this entire time, and then it closes, and it's like it closes. That's so interesting. Huh? That, that was an easy one. No, yeah, that was easier. Uh, let's yeah, let's see. Let me retrace our steps. Uh, <laughs> space smell, Coke, Starlight, Voodoo, Doritos, Nacho, Sinopolis. Perfect. So yes, <laughs> I went to Sinopolis to watch the Lost City. Amazing. Which we've wanted to watch for a long time. How was it? Super fun. Fun. It's one of those, like, mid-level movies that have... Oh, yeah. For I sure. Mean, people say they have disappeared. They are going going out of the consciousness, even if they're still there. But this one is fun. Yeah. I mean, I love me some Channing Tatum. So, hell yeah. Exactly. I will it's I will good. catch up and on it. I think it's one that i have going to stream. Have you heard about the cameo? It's not a cameo. No. But, like, there is an actor that plays, like, a, you know, 10-minute role that you didn't know from the trailer and you didn't know from the poster. And his voice comes on the phone first. And I turn to Ariel and I go, is that? Hmm? And then it was. Hmm? And it was delightful. Was so, it? Okay. if you watch it, I'm curious for your reaction. I have one guess and then I will Ella. watch it. But it's not Matt Damon, is it? <laughs> Because Matt Damon shows up. He's not Matt Damon. (laughs) No, no, no. He's not Matt Damon. Spoiler alert, he's not Matt Damon. Okay, sorry. Matt Damon did not show up again midway through a film as a surprise. Cool. Good to know. Correct. Um, Cool. Great. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience. I'm glad you were able to go to a a real Sinopolis and pay a hilariously cheap amount of money to do that. Uh, We need to go. I need to take you. You do. To all the Sinopolis. Around, like, a mile, a square mile around my house, there are three Sinopolis. <laughs> like, they're competing against themselves, honestly. They just have to be in every single mall. And my, my the area of my house in Mexico has a ridiculous amount of malls, so. There is one in San Mateo. So I imagine more will be opened at some point. But I haven't, I haven't been in the U.S. 
I think I know it's only the VIP version in the US. There is no regular Cinepolis. Yeah. But I don't know if the experience is actually the same. How much is it? $30? Oh, yeah. It was 40? super expensive. I They opened one in Dallas right before I left and I didn't go. Uh, there was one in, in... There were a handful in LA. There was one in the Palisades near where I was. But I didn't go because it was like 24 bucks for a base ticket and then I'm going to buy food and whatnot. And I'm like... Okay, I'll pay twelve bucks at the ArcLight. Cool, thanks. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and even then, like, I love the Alamo Draft House. It's great, and we've been going a lot this month. But even then, I kind of like not having the temptation of having to spend or of being able to just get a beer or food delivered to me. <laughs> it's nice. I know. Yeah. No, you can you can experience it. The whole experience is going to Mexico and thinking about it in dollars. Sorry, Mexican listeners, but cool. well, people may, people get angry at me when I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, to the VIP, and they're like, why? And I'm like, the joke is because it's free. <laughs> what do you mean? It's, seven, it's $7.50. It's like, why would I go to the other one? But no, yeah. It's, um, yeah, highly recommend. So I'm glad that we have managed to spend 20 minutes catching up and not talk <laughs> about our main topic at all, which our main topic is... Also, our only topic today, based on the amount of time we have to uh, yes. record, this was a terrible like time period for us to like be a wall on this show. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about the Netflix stock today, but we also have the Elon Twitter saga. We have the entirety of um, the Reedy Creek Disney's. saga. Yeah. We've, we've talked about the Don't Say a Bill reaction, and since we last covered it on this show, it has spiraled into the Republican Party in Florida vindictively destroying Disney's trying to, governance. Trying to destroy the biggest employer in their state. No. I mean... And one of the biggest drawers of tourism. Probably the... high. It's probably the largest single... Private company responsible for a percentage of any company's GDP in the country. Probably. I would have to guess that Disney's percentage of GDP created for Florida is the highest of any single company in any single state. But anyway, yes, this Worth is another episode. Yeah, that will be yes. a deep dive we do at some point soon. Um, we've both spoken at length about the fascinating legal and political structure of the Disney complex in Florida, and we will cover it much more in depth here. It's fascinating. Like the state of Florida actually loses oh, yeah. money by removing the self-governance rights Disney has. It's fascinating. That all said, happy that Disney's probably not going to continue having full autonomy in the state of Florida, but it's for the wrong reasons. Carl, Spoiler, I think they're absolutely going to continue. Oh, I think you're right. You're right. Florida, but this, this is another episode. But yeah. But the, the state of Florida is going to lose more money for the same net effect. Yeah. Different yes. episode. We're to cover it in depth. It is uniquely in the crosshairs of, of what we're talking about. But we wanted, instead of talking about Elon and Twitter or the Reedy Creek Improvement District in Orlando <laughs> or outside of Orlando, we really want to dig into Netflix because we've laid the groundwork for this stock crash for years for years (laughs) and we've already talked about the first stock crash but now it is this valuation is crazily low wow yeah 
I, I can tell a little bit about the stock and then you want to, if you can walk us a little bit through kind of why did this happen. But for sure, the TLDR is a uh, Netflix stock as of Wednesday, April 27th is down to $191 per stock. The first time Netflix hit $190 per uh, stock was in July 21st, 2017. So almost five years ago. And, you know, stock is the stocks are not a perfect describer of uh, kind of a company's health, but they're a pretty good proxy for like uh, the health of the business, both in terms of like fiscal and financial structure, but also like customer and investor confidence mm-hmm. and the, the ethos that they play in the culture. That, that's probably, that, that is not probably, that is the wrong use of ethos. But, um, yeah, I think Carl, Carl, you and I, I got an, in one of the emails from the entertainment strategy guy today. He's like, here's the list of Netflix bears. And there is four people. And then he's like, and I think that's it. I'm like, what? Where are Carl and <laughs> but, but anyway, tell us, tell us hey, how you're doing. Public what, record. We have this podcast. It's on public record. <laughs> yeah. I feel so vindicated. Not even, regardless of the podcast, we've been saying this for a year at business school and people were telling us we were crazy and that. Hollywood was dead and Netflix would rule. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to see this all play out in actuality and wish I had put money shorting it and or just had the money to short it here. But the <laughs> long and short of it is they announced subsli- that subscriber growth was slowing during their Q1 mm-hmm. or their Q4 earnings call in January of right. this year. The stock yep. went down how much do you know right off the bat? I have it here. They went down from around well, this was still in like December, but I think yeah, yeah. since they announced like since their peak in November, it went down from basically seven hundred to three for to four hundred, so like forty percent. Yeah. Just completely plummeted relative to that. Uh, which was, I think, the single largest drop in valuation a, a company's ever had in a day. That still maintains because the it maintains not on percentage basis, which has gone down worse now, but it maintains, I think, on the cash basis. So, yeah. Anyway, they announced that things were slowing. It was the first time publicly they admitted that their product was not going to continue astronomically growing in every country all at once. And it was kind of an admission of defeat. The street reacted very negatively to that, as did normal investors, because I think everyone just assumed that they were the incumbent and going to continue doing this forever. Then, last week, they announced that... They've lost 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter. This is a little bit artificially inflated. 700,000 subscribers were lost when they had to suspend service in Russia due to sanctions. So really, they gained 500,000 subscribers globally last quarter. That's That sucks that the, the number gets in, yeah. artificially inflated there. I don't think people would have reacted as strongly to that messaging, and they would have gotten ahead of it. Had they also not announced yeah. that their new f- guidance for Q2 subscribers was that they were going to lose 
2 million subscribers. So they went from growing and growing and growing every quarter, and then they hit their apex in Q3 of last year. They started slowing down as apex in growth. They hit their max subscriber number in Q4 of last year, and now it is in free fall. It's a huge slope difference. And I, it, it's a huge slope difference there. And, and also there is so many interesting like ways to break it down, right? Some of the biggest things is, you know, even if you say, which is true, right? Hey, COVID really helped them. They probably got to a level of penetration a little faster than they thought they would because of COVID, just like a lot of no. other streamers did. So it was expected that some of this was going to go down. I, I, I buy part of that. Um, there is also, you know, even if you think like Eitan and Carl's thesis of, hey, these costs growing at or faster pace than revenue is going to be an issue because library is not supporting itself. You can buy that. I think something that was very interesting to see reading online a couple of like during these days is how even if you believe these things, right? The point where where this was likely to happen was probably when they increased prices. Like in, in so many of these services, like churn rarely happens kind of on its own. There has to be a very strong reason. Like people are not going to be like, oh, I ha I've been counting and I haven't logged into Netflix for seven days, so I'm going to drop Netflix. And this is not, this wasn't that. Yeah. This didn't even take that. And I think that was an interesting part because when people talked about growth, you know, Netflix always had two things they could do. One is increase subscribers or increase prices. And this could also just be a sign of like them hitting that top uh, ceiling in price where anything they go above is going to result in even more churn. Yeah. And, you know, we, we learned about this, but, you know, when people think about churn, the most important, why churn is so important and customer acquisition is so important in subscription services. I mean, this seems obvious, but sometimes we forget is that this doesn't mean they lost a customer today. It means they lost the revenue for the rest of whatever yeah. number of months they use for perpetuity. But, they lost the revenue for next month and the month after and the month after, which is the same reason why customer acquisition is so important uh, because you get the subscription now, but also next month and next month and next month. And like you mentioned, the one from Q1 is maybe understandable because of Russia, but uh, that, that 2 million guidance for next quarter is going to be, uh, that's going to be very yeah. painful. I, I think you're on exactly the right track with the pricing the long and short of it beyond everything we talk about like i think you have the clear pnl argument of they're spending a lot of money to build content as an acquisition play and their costs continue to rise but i think the opposite side of that is the on the acquisition front they can't afford to be a loss leader they were never really a loss leader they were always pretty solidly at the median or even a little below the median in terms of the prices of these services. But now they are the most expensive major streaming service per month. They are even more expensive than HBO Max, which was previously considered the ceiling for something that wasn't a wasn't live TV, sports, or something right, more niche. Right. And, and with that, 
they had to do that because they have no other revenue streams. Like, yeah, even that's another argument people used in the business school was, well, they're going to have consumer products one day. I was like, I do <laughs> not see Stranger Things consumer products everywhere, despite it being a massive show, theoretically. Like, it, yes, in theory, that's how you do it, is you build an empire of CPG or other experiences, or or even, I remember they were going to do gaming for a minute. They, they got that, too. Uh, I, I wonder well, how they announced... Is that going to keep they're continue? They're going to release 50 games in 2020. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, that, that's going to do it. They're going to spend $20 billion on games now instead. That'll really help them compete against Microsoft, <laughs> Luna, and... Stadia. Yeah, yeah, and Stadia. People are looking for things to cut right now because of inflation. After they're looking for things to cut, they are looking at what they're watching, and they're just not watching Netflix. It's crazy. Yeah, and then the other part were, that I wanted to go was they announced ads. And But before we get there, I don't know if you saw about the stocks. Netflix valuation is right now at $89 billion, mm-hmm. And the amount of money they've spent in content in their history, it's almost the same. Yeah. Like right now, they're almost valued at the amount of content that they've, that they've spent. And just to say, like, at face value, that sounds surprising. My guess is other companies would be around the same. Like Disney is probably around mm-hmm. two hundred billion, and historically they're probably going to be at that. Especially when you think about you know the enterprise value of a company being like you know assets minus liabilities yeah. and all of these things. Content are assets, and they get amortized as well, and they appreciate it. And some of these things lose value over time. Where at some point that was going to happen, but I think the Netflix part that differentiates them from some of these is just how quickly they got there, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that was a funny the difference being that one, like you said, it is Disney spending that much money over a much longer time horizon and that that content's value amortizing over time, they're more or less at that point, like you said. Netflix has spent all of that money in the last ten years on content that has aged horrifically for the most part. Like, they have a, a handful of franchises or shows and a handful of films that I think will live on as long as, like, the the, the median Disney property that's on Disney+. Plus. Like, it is... Sure. It is, it is fascinating that, like, they have all the stuff that is valued that much because they spent that money recently. But I don't think it has the longevity... And at the same time, I think a valuation of a legacy stock like Disney, especially a, a like a conglomerate stock like Disney, is less tied yeah, to growth and it's it's less tied to growth and future earnings and more just it's a stable stock because this company has proven that they can continue to grow and continue to perform and continue to win. Whereas Netflix was just always winning and their stock valuation was based on the fact that they're always going to win because they're Netflix. Yeah. That was uh, crazy. The other part that I was, I think I was fascinated by and also reading uh, a couple of things online, Ben Thompson's strategy, one of them, was the announcement for ads. I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, what was your reaction? I have a... I, I, this is the area that I think I've spent the most time thinking about it because yeah. it's also kind of related to something that I work on on my day to day. But before I say that, I was curious for like 
your reaction, not only to, oh, they announced it, but like breaking it down from what it, what it could mean or why now or the way they're doing it. I haven't looked into any of the actual ad unit stuff they've talked about. Like, have you seen any of the, the strategy of who they're hiring or what they're planning to build out? That, that was one of the biggest things that is very interesting is that Reed, Reed my friend, Mr. Hastings, said that it's basically going to be programmatic. And he point blank said that the ad tech industry is at a point where they are not going to build a tech stack for ads. Yeah. Like they're gonna let other platforms take care of the matching and the and the targeting and that stuff, and they'll just be like a regular publisher. And yeah, I'll go with mine. Like my biggest reaction was that that was fascinating, but also left me a little bit speechless because yeah. it and, and Ben Thompson talks about it, but it it makes it seem like they made this decision very quickly yeah exactly or just as a, or, or they have been thinking about it and they were like we have to say this because this is happening and like the tldr of this is when you're a publisher in the modern world in the attic there are two ways that you can think of selling ads and a lot of them do two they, they do both. Yeah. one is you can be a direct seller and you can think about uh, brand deals rich deals like you're i'm going to put you in front of every single user of netflix you can buy rich Right? There is no real-time bidding. There is no... You can think of the Super Bowl. Yeah. And a lot of these companies do this because they have a lot of reach and companies that want to do brands that are not... They're not targeting to any specific person. There is no specific outcome that they're trying to do because it's video. That makes a lot of sense. I thought Netflix was going to start like that because it's an easier entry point. They are huge. And it's a it's an easy way for them to control kind of the end to end flow of who they're selling and how they're selling how they're selling it. I think they're they could have said that they were gonna do programmatic and then say that they were gonna build it, and that would have made more sense than what they said. Because Netflix right now is by far the biggest streaming platform mm -hmm. in the world. They have more users than the biggest MVPD. I would imagine, well, except from someone in China or in India, but yeah. they are the biggest, like, to to advertisers, they are the goldmine. They have the most information and the most reach where if they want to get to, you know, 18 to 24-year-olds that are interested in X and Y and Z and yeah. that they were born in this month, that that group of people is going to be the largest. And having those capabilities is super important to winning programmatic programmatic is where the money is going is where brands feel more comfortable spending because they know who they're targeting they know who they're getting and on a per unit basis they're willing to pay more for that and that will require netflix to build the muscle that they don't have and it's okay that they don't have it but if they want to play in ads and they want this to be very like they want to be a leader in the market of ads they're going to have to build it and it's and it, the problem with them is that they're going to be competing against players like Disney, who has Hulu, who is probably the most advanced programmatic seller mm -hmm. in the world. They are going to compete against Roku, who has one of the biggest. They just announced a new clean room from their one media around how they're selling ads. They're going to compete against Amazon, that has the Amazon Media. It's AMC also, which is insane. But they have the Amazon Media something. I don't remember why it is where they're starting to use it with, mm -hmm. with Amazon Prime. And like these companies are super sophisticated 
And if Netflix yeah. is going to enter the world where they're going to compete against these people for these type of ads, they're going to tell the brand, come spend with me instead of going with these others. They need to provide differentiated value. And, and it seems like they are not starting Google there. either, the, the biggest ad publisher in the oh, world. Oh, of course. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, but even in yeah. YouTube where you say, like, that's going to be one ad. But yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And... <laughs> this is not an, an edit. I'm literally like I have my hand in my forehead. Uh, it was baffling because yeah. if it's if it's a misunderstanding of the ad ecosystem, it's an insane miss. And if it's a no, we want to start small because we want to understand it better as we build our capabilities. They could have started with non-programmatic. So. I'm curious how quickly they're going to change the story, but that that was probably the part that for me was the, the probably the most surprising. Yeah, wow. That is that is a bombshell for me here. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. And it is even even like you are absolutely right on the strategic element of it that in order to win at the level that they want to win based on their entire winning very hyper competitive culture at it's company right. like they should either roll their own or acquire it problem is mm -hmm. they don't have the valuation to do that right now because their valuations in the toilet they're not going to be able to easily take on debt to do that and probably not be able to take on yeah i, I don't think they were able to get the capital to do those things necessarily so that's they're in a rock and a hard place there but beyond that, the entire reason they've never done ad-supported as far as their business model is for brand equity. Like, they've always said, it's not our brand. We're this premium brand. We don't want people associating us with ads. They were also the, the first to market in an economy that was not built around ads yet. That said, to go from that stage of, it's tarnishing. It would tarnish our brand to do this, and we don't want to do this because it's not Netflixy. To just saying, "Eh, yeah, we're just gonna buy something off the shelf and be a, a dumb output for another ad company's inventory," is a way worse hit to their brand equity than having a fully baked Avod solution from. The, out of the box five years ago. Yeah, and 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 that's also where I was gonna go. You you nailed it. It's an acquisition because I was thinking, what are some of these stacks that could help them? And you know, there is the typical uh, Nielsen's of the world, or yeah. uh, depending on how deep on the value chain of ad serving they want to go, there are many options. But the entertainment strategy guy. You know whose valuation is also seventy down seventy five percent in the last year, and is close to ten billion dollars in valuation right now. Who? And I mentioned them in my rant. A company that came out of Netflix, kind of. Roku. Roku. Yeah. They would only get. They wouldn't only get the ad serving, but they would also get an ad supported service in the Roku channel, and they would get hardware. That would be so funny to compete against Apple it and went Google. Back. <laughs> it's it's definitely one of those where when you think about this capability and if they want to win, I like the way you said it, to the level that they want to win. 
they're going to have to develop a very complicated capability in a very short amount of time, and an acquisition could make sense. Do you know what else this also tells me? Something that I saw on Twitter, I forget who said this, but like, just somebody said, it's not good investing fundamentals, even though it is how people have been making decisions for the last 20 years for some reason, to value a company or a stock based on the amount of data they're able to collect and generate. Data without a plan of how to use it and without an actual concrete output is completely worthless. Like Netflix has always said, we know more about customer taste than we than anyone else. We, that's where we're going to fund all this original content and be better at it than anyone else. And guess what? They weren't. They were able to, to yeah. lock into a few good things that on their face... I don't think it, I think any other studio could have funded Stranger Things or Ozark or many of the films that they they funded. They just happened to fund them and they were good funding decisions, right? But at the same time there's so much content on there that just like isn't hitting or probably isn't generating the amount of engagement that it really needs to justify the cost in a 20 billion dollar a year a bucket that they have. But all that to say here, this shows me that their whole like algorithm data is BS to begin with because that would be good at, at targeting data. Like they have amazing first-party data here, and the fact that Incredible. the the solution of that they figure out a week afterwards is not to use that data directly in-house to do something tells me that that data is absolutely valueless. It is. It is. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Because, yeah, I think of one of the biggest... I mean, this is a company that can do it for because of regulation, right? But some of the biggest companies in the world that have the most amount of data don't use it, either because they can't or because they won't, right? right? Yeah. But I think of, like, Epic, the EHR company, mm -hmm. like a hospital right. system. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah. the most... Probably the most valuable because based on the type of medicines that they could sell. But... Uh, yeah, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. We'll see what happens. I think they're gonna they're gonna change this note very quickly about the, um, the ad stuff because they can't. This this can't be. A, oh yeah, we need to increase our revenue by ten percent. Yeah. If they're going in on ads, they're going in on ads, and uh, yeah, we'll see. So, I have an AUA for you. Ooh, yes. There's a very annoying, very reductive, and honestly insulting acronym used in the Bay a lot, used in business school a lot, used in recruiting way too much, which is FANG, standing for mm. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. That means it's used in the recruiting capacity, people were like, because people are like, oh, we love X FANG people. It's used in business school because it's like, oh, these are the five companies that are worth working for as far as the, the big companies go. It's used mm -hmm. on the street to describe, ah, yes, the, the big, indestructible, perfect tech companies that have it all figured out. And as of right now, it's more like Aang with one A, with, or it's like not even Aang, it's Ag or Ga because Google, Apple, Amazon are doing fine. 
I don't see anything. And Google is Alphabet. So it's ah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. I mean, the, that's right. It's, uh, it should be what? Fauna? Fawn? <laughs> so, yeah. it's And Facebook is Meta. It should be Ma. Okay. <laughs> ma. Okay, yeah. So it's it's the Ma acronym. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I did not even think about these um, changes. Yeah, you're right. It's now, it's not only is it a bad <laughs> acronym with bad fundamentals behind it, it's also just super outdated, incorrect and outdated. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. Okay, so we've got the ma now. So we have ma because Facebook is their reputation is crashing. They are losing subscribers. Like it's the end game for for Meta is not looking great, and you also have like the Meta first is probably not going to radically shape that. I mean, hot take here. It's not really that hot a take. You have Ma. If you had to put one other company into this ridiculous bucket of impenetrable perfect companies in 2022, what would it be? And therefore you have to make your acronym off of Ma into something else. One company. Okay, but when you say one company, it has to be one company like these ones that is big maybe failing is it one of the ones that should be there because actually it's one of the it's well it's one that you think is a peer company at the moment to to wait it's not even ma ma's the one i'm so confused we're going for (laughs) alphabet amazon and apple Apple. are the three good ones so ah you have three a's you need to add one letter (laughs) what company do you put into this this bucket Wait, the, fr- the first one that comes to mind that actually makes it ma again is Microsoft. Yeah. Because they're doing, they're doing pretty well. And Microsoft used um, to be, there was another acronym that had Microsoft before Fang was the sexy one. Sure. I forget what it was, but yeah. Yeah, but if I had to think a little bit beyond that. This is interesting. Where is this coming from, by the way, while I think about it? I saw the acronym Fang earlier in describing like, it was literally somebody talking about how two of the companies are kind of not <laughs> in that same conversation anymore. That's where it's very really hot. Yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't put Twitter anymore. We'll talk about that another time. So it wouldn't be ta. And I wouldn't put Twitter uh, in there anyway. Like I know, I know. I know. We'll, we'll talk about this, but going private for Twitter is good. For it, it's just the way it's going private is bad for it. I think. Okay, right. we'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are so many of these that are struggling. Again, not that big, yeah. right? But Robinhood, did you see? They're laying off ten percent of the workforce. Um, Spotify running through some issues. I'm not gonna put Tesla either. I don't know because I do think like you know we we laugh at the acronyms, but the acronyms. At least capture something of like. For sure. I don't think Netflix should have been there. I never because, did either, obviously. Like, but yeah, yeah, their 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 best case scenario was never going to be Google, Microsoft, Facebook, no. Apple, what they were at one time. And it is difficult to find other companies that could get there because ByteDance, TikTok, I don't think it gets there on its own. I yeah. think it has a ton of regulatory stuff that I have to go through and privacy stuff. Um. So I couldn't think of any either besides the two that you kind of hesitated on, which were Microsoft and Tesla. I think those are the only two based on a a handful that 
or based on everything that seemed to fit into this wheelhouse of having prestige, being well-respected by the market, being on a growth trajectory, but also being an established brand and name and not a skyrocketing startup. Uh, Tesla, we can argue about the long-term value of Tesla, uh, given the, the Ford F-150 launch or a lot of the other EVs that are launching or the Rivians of the world. But as of right now, it's on a good growth trajectory and the, the stock skyrocketed during the last two years, which is why Eli was able to buy Twitter. Microsoft, not a sexy company, much sexier than what it was 10 years ago, but just has so much institutional power that like, it, it really, between Azure and the Office Suite and a lot of the technologies behind it, their dominance in video games, there's just a lot that really makes Microsoft work. And it's a much better run company and a much sexier company than it was when we were in high school. So I think those belong in there. Maybe you could throw Disney in there as a, as a wild card, as, a, as another thing. But yeah, yeah I don't see any other companies hitting at the level of the, I guess, the AAA firms. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, this is a tangent, but like, I think when you think about it, like from, from a profit perspective, not from a valuation perspective, there are a couple of companies that are up there that you wouldn't think about. Like, I remember, like, of course, things like JP Morgan Chase is like there, but I think Intel is like a top down yeah. company in terms of revenue in like tens of billions of dollars. I, I was thinking a chip uh, maker could go Johnson in there, Johnson is there for sure. Uh, like an NVIDIA or something maybe... could probably maybe fit in there. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's just say something it's like maybe if Visa had bought Plaid, like if that had gone through something around payments, Stripe is still private, like something about finance, new finance. But yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Thank you. I, I actually, you know, thought about it before we recorded today. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, I think in order to keep the episode below an hour, I'm going to think for a better AUA for you for next week. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We truly have no idea when the next episode will be, but it will be <laughs> plus or, or minus one and a half weeks from now we will record another episode. Yes. So until then, have fun watching the world burn as the news is developing way faster than we can possibly keep up with it. We didn't even mention CNN plus. Oh yeah. I know. Like we've, we've got so much to catch up on. <laughs> so we're going to just keep stockpiling this backlog and see you next time to talk about probably Reedy Creek, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back to you soon. Bye.